Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater, and I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. This month, March, marks the beginning of Women's History Month. And fortunately, we find ourselves living through a historic time period for women. Today, women comprise a significant majority of students on college campuses. Congress has more female lawmakers than ever before. And most importantly, women feel more empowered than ever to speak out about the injustices they've faced in their personal and professional lives. On today's episode, though, we will focus on women and finance, and more specifically, on how women can break the cycle of abdication and take control of their wealth, or as we call it here at UBS, own your worth. After all, women control more than $14 trillion in assets under management and 75% of all consumer purchasing in buying and influence. So joining me today to help see the bigger picture is Carrie Shuffman. Carrie is head of the women's segment at UBS and also my business partner, Ann Trainer, who is a certified retirement planning counselor. Well, thank you both for sharing your time and your wisdom today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Carrie, before we dig in, I'd love for our listeners to hear the story of your team and the women's segment strategy that has led you to this exciting position, not only for women employees and clients at UBS, but for getting women to see the bigger picture to teach women to take control of their financial life. Sure. And uh, thank you so much for having me on today, Mitch. So the women's segment team started about a year and a half ago at UBS in the fall of 2017, really in an effort to help UBS better focus on the needs that our female clients and prospects have. So when we thought about how can we better serve women on their terms, we realized there was really a gap in the way that the industry focuses on and treats women and, and meets their financial needs. In particular, women have traditionally been thought of as a niche industry or the that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, and we at UBS inherently disagree with that. We really chose to focus on this concept of sub-segmentation and understanding that each woman has different financial needs depending on where she is in her life, what life stage she's at, what her career goals are, what her family aspirations are. And we wanted to develop tailored strategies and solutions, whether it be intellectual capital, resources, content, videos, podcasts like these for women based upon you know where they are and really figure out the right approach for specific demographics of women rather than thinking about women overall, since women make up 51% of the population. So it's, it's kind of hard to call them a segment. Yes, absolutely. So I know here at UBS, there is truly a mission to inspire the next generation of female leaders in finance. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this great joint venture starting this month with Bloomberg and State Street called Girls Take Wall Street. I noticed there were a bunch of people ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange last week, in fact. Yes, it was a, a terrific event, and UBS was absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. So this event took place on Friday, March 1st. For this event, UBS partnered with Bloomberg and State Street Global Advisors to organize a full day of activity designed to educate, inspire, and empower the next generation of female leaders in financial services. So over 120 high school girls from area schools in the tri-state area visited the campus 
offices of UBS and Bloomberg to learn about various career paths and financial services. There were career panels, employee volunteer speed networking exercises. UBS and Bloomberg employees shared their career paths and best practices with the girls. And then everyone headed down to the New York Stock Exchange, where some of the girls were able to ring the closing bell, enjoyed a speech by Betty Liu, who's the vice chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. And then they were also treated to a private concert in conjunction with iHeartRadio. So it was really a terrific event. And it was designed to be on March 1st, really as a kickoff to Women's History Month and to get us started. And UBS has a full calendar of some really wonderful events planned, both for employees, for clients, for prospects, and for the general public to celebrate Women's History Month. Which is amazing. And and I'm just going to let you jump in here because I know you have a high school daughter and this mm-hmm. is something we've talked about a lot that most people don't get any financial education in high school. It is mandated in New Jersey, thank God, mm-hmm. that there is a little bit of financial literacy. But has, have you seen that at all? Has, has your daughter experienced that yet? Well, they do. You know, we're fortunate in our district that we do have that as a requirement in high school. But it's one course. And what I think is just so great about that event that UBS helped to sponsor is if you can't see it, you know, if you don't even know it exists, how can you make that a goal in life? Or how could you even think to pursue finance in general if you don't see it? And especially to expose young girls to it in such an interesting and fun, dynamic way, I think it's just fantastic. And I'm so glad that UBS was a part of that. Yeah, it's truly <laughs> very, very important that that's happening. And on a previous episode, we actually spoke with a young woman, Erin Lowry, who wrote a book called Broke Millennial and is attempting to teach other millennials to start getting their own financial life together. I have to say, Carrie, I was kind of shocked to read in the Own Your Worth report that was put out that an overwhelming amount of millennial women are leaving important financial decisions to their partners more than any other generation. Why is that happening? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that we've really tried to explore. And Mitch, as you referenced in our Own Your Worth report in the U.S. that we published last year, we did find that millennial women were less involved in taking more of a backseat in long-term financial decisions than any other generation. So rather than breaking the status quo, millennial women are actually perpetuating it, which we were particularly surprised by. It's something, you know, we went back and checked the data two, three, four times. And every time we, we realized that this was really the trend that, that we're seeing. I think it's for a variety of reasons. One is something that Anne just mentioned, which I think is so correct, which is that if you don't see it, it's hard to do it. And so our research really showed that gender roles, traditional gender roles, do run deep within families, within households. And so research shows that if you grew up in a family where maybe your father handled more of the investments, the long-term financial decisions, and your mother was less involved, that you're more likely to repeat that because that's what you saw. So I think in particular for millennial-aged men and women who maybe grew up with baby boomer parents, some of those traditional behaviors are still occurring and being being repeated. I also think, you know, all of us are so incredibly busy. Uh, Time constraints are a huge challenge for all of us. A lot of our research showed that both men and women kind of take a divide and conquer approach to everything in the household, whether it's the finances, shorter or longer term, childcare, maintaining the household. And so this is something where it may just become, oh, well, I saw my parents handle it this way and that's how I'm going to handle it as well because it worked for them. 
So what kind of advice would you be giving to millennial women? And I have a 20, almost 22-year-old, so I'm, I'm working on it myself. But what, what type of advice would you recommend? I would definitely recommend not taking a back seat in your financial life. I think it's incredibly important to think about the bigger picture for yourself, regardless of where you are in life regardless of your age, regardless of your marital status, being involved in your financial future is so important. And particularly for for millennial women, I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I'm 22, like Mm -hmm. your daughter, or I'm 30. I have plenty of time to worry about the future. But, you know, that's not always the case. Things come up. Life has unexpected hiccups or roadblocks. And being aware of what you have, what you owe, you know, your income, your spending, making sure that your spending is not exceeding your income, those are really important things that will set you on a track for the future. Things like planning for retirement. If you have an employer-sponsored retirement planning opportunity or program at your company, you know, the every year counts. So I would say definitely to get started early and to think about those things, even if it seems like you don't have the means to, to do mm-hmm. that right right now. Later on, it will pay off exponentially to, to think about your future now. Yeah, and you've been a financial advisor mm-hmm. for over 20 years, and you've worked with many women who've sadly been widowed or divorced and find themselves in, in these unexpected situations. And talk a little bit about some of their financial challenges in general and how advisors like you best help these women address some of these responsibilities. Thanks, mm-hmm. Mitch. Yeah, I think there's so much here. I also wanted to back up a minute and also echo Carrie's words about the fact that you know, women are not this monolith and they do come at investing differently. It's not just one size fits all. But sometimes you do see trends. And I think you just mentioned one of them being when women are forced to deal with investing and finances suddenly, as can be the case when, you know, suddenly finding yourself widowed or divorced, it can be extremely overwhelming. And so, I think the best thing that we can do as advisors is listen and educate, which really isn't that different from what we do with other clients, right? I mean, maybe the the educate part on some level, but by educate, I don't mean, you know, some immersive course in investing. I think you, what what we focus on is gradually increasing a person's level of understanding and maybe more importantly, their comfort level over time. And there's a couple ways that we do that. One being, you know, just a simple financial goal analysis, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying just to really what it sounds like, identify goals and then analyze whether or not you can financially support them. It's very helpful and straightforward. We don't use jargony language, which is a problem, I think, in general. And it's also very visual which I think is important. Again, you could say when dealing with anyone, but especially in dealing with women. And it speaks to what they want, which brings me to the second point, which we focus on. Again, approaching it in a way that's helpful for women is looking at their wealth along three key dimensions. Liquidity, in other words, what are they going to need in the next two to three years? Longevity, how are these assets going to support her through her lifetime? And then legacy, How are we helping her to provide for others beyond her lifetime? And again, that conversation and that framework is very relatable. It has meaning. It has purpose. It speaks to what 
they care most about. Right. And that's so true. And, you know, Carrie, I've heard you talk in the past about the differences between how men and women approach financial decision making and the different challenges women face versus their male counterparts. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. And and again, going back to my earlier point, you know, there is no one size fits all approach. And so, you know, every man, every woman isn't thinking about their finances differently, investing differently. But overall, we did see some trends in the research that, that applied more to men and more to women. So our research really showed that women are very involved in the shorter term financial decision making within their household. So whether that's bill paying, managing the family's checkbook, expenses, many of the women that we spoke with, the majority said that they were very involved in that. Whereas when it came to the longer term decision, so in investing, financial planning, retirement planning, thinking about insurance and things later on down the road, that's where many women said that they were less involved. And that's where the majority of men took the lead. That's directly from our Own Your Worth US research from last year. And then in terms of the the challenges that women face versus their male counterparts, and again, I don't want to generalize, but you know, women do tend to live longer than men. That's a fact. And so with that, you know, if if you're living longer, it means that your savings, your wealth needs to last longer. So you need to stretch it over a longer period of time. And there are various inflection points that affect men and women differently in many cases. Um, And that's something to think about too, whether it's the gender pay gap, which still does exist in the U.S., or taking time out of you know the workforce to care for children or caring for aging parents or whatever it is. Those are all things that even if it's a short term, ultimately can have an impact long term on, on the wealth that you have and what you have upon retirement. There's also really interesting research that shows that many women tend to retire if they're in a married partnership, tend to retire when their husbands do, even though women on average tend to marry men who are slightly older. So that could also mean that women are retiring before you know, their working years are up and when they still have years left that they could be, you know, contributing to that retirement wealth that they'll, they'll have for the rest of their lives. No, oh, excellent. So in the Own Your Worth report, there was a really excellent area on, on talking about some common myths versus reality when it comes to managing or making financial decisions. And I thought I'd pick a few of these and mm-hmm. let you both comment on them. One that I thought was real interesting is women have been on equal ground with men financially for a long time now. What's the reality there, Carrie? (laughs) So the reality is that there have been many kind of legal challenges and things that really happened in in many people's lifetimes. So, you know, not that far off that affected women's ability to be involved in their finances. And so, for example, it wasn't until 1974 that the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was passed. So up until 1974, which doing quick math in my head means that anyone who is 45 or older, this was in their lifetime, that meant that you needed a male co-signer in many cases just to apply for credit, whether it was getting a mortgage, taking out a credit card. So whether that was your husband, if you were married, your father, your brother, a male relative. And so again, for anyone who's 45 or older, this was in in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. And thoughts there on that one? Yeah. I mean, I think just as Carrie pointed out, it's not that long ago. I think also in that same report, I read the report that you guys put out. It's excellent. It was in 1981 that the Supreme Court overturned state laws that gave husbands unilateral control over jointly owned property. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
1981. It's great. Yeah. Long ago. Millennials yeah. are, are considered being born after 1980, so that's in some millennials' lifetimes, which mm. is particularly shocking. Might, mm-hmm. might explain a lot there. Here's one. I need to be an expert to be a good investor. Yeah, so um, our research showed that seven out of 10 women tend to overestimate what's required to be financially savvy, which I think is really interesting because our efforts and, and what we do from a women's segment perspective is, is help to explain that you don't have to be an expert to be meaningfully involved in your finances. You don't have to understand the technical jargon. You don't have to follow the markets closely. You don't have to understand all of the you know calculations that go into it to still ask yourself the critical questions around liquidity, longevity, legacy. What do you want to accomplish with your life? Who are the people that you care most about? What do you want your legacy to be? And how can your wealth help you achieve those things? And so I, I think that this is something that's particularly important because in the financial world, there's a lot of misconceptions around that, more so than in other industries. You know, we like to say, if you go and order a salad at lunch because you're trying to eat healthy and you get a kale salad, you don't study nutrition before you order the kale salad. If you needed to seek out legal advice, you wouldn't necessarily read a legal textbook before you bring in a lawyer. Hmm. You don't study anatomy before you go to the gym and work out. So you don't have to become a financial expert to engage with a financial expert or to at least get a sense of your bigger picture and, and where all of your money is and what your goals are. And you've right. lived this for, for many years. Absolutely. So. I've absolutely yeah. lived this. And it's you know one of the myths that really hits home with me because we see it and hear it from clients a lot. And it's exactly what Carrie just said. It just, you don't have to be an expert. But I think it's natural for people to shy away from things that they're not familiar with. But really, and again, that's why it's important to listen and try to educate and going through something like that financial goal analysis where you really are just talking, as Carrie just said, about what's important to you. What is it that you want to do in life? You don't obviously have to be an expert in the markets to answer those questions and work with someone to see, okay, if that's what you told me, and then we take a look at how we're invested, we can draw the dotted lines that why, you know, what you're invested in is or isn't helping to achieve those goals. And one other thing I just kind of link to that with that myth is going back to helping millennials to get started, you know, in, in being in a place where they can understand their financial picture a little better. And I think, you know, it's just, it's the same thing. You don't have to be an expert, but if they start early, they have that opportunity sometimes with those 401k plans or employee-sponsored plans to start to understand what investing is, take some of the mystery away and the mystique, and that, you know, will help them get to a place where they don't, they know they don't have to be an expert to be involved. This last myth really shocked me. Um, it's, it's probably up there with the myth that the New York Mets are going to win the World <laughs> Series this year. As a Met fan, I can say that. I say it every year. But this one's really, this one's a shocker. I won't ever have to manage finances on my own. Yeah. So when we were first embarking on all of the research that went into the Own Your Worth report, we wanted to understand what is the experience of someone, in particular women, who find themselves in a position where they have to manage their finances independently, particularly if they maybe hadn't had to do that before. And so we started looking at data around women and men, and we came across this statistic from the National Vital Statistics Bureau, which is part of the U.S. Census, from 2017, which stated that eight out of 10 women will find themselves alone at the end of their lives. And so if you back into, you know, if eight out of 10 women will find themselves alone, that means that they're also 
independently in charge of managing their financial life, whether it's for a short time or sometimes given life expectancies, trends around marriage, divorce rates, women choosing not to be in a partnership. I mean, you could find yourself alone for a period of a decade or more, our research showed. So it's not just, you know, a shorter term thing. It's really a huge portion of your life you could be in charge of these decisions solo. Mm. Oh. Anne, any thoughts yeah. there? Just again, you know, you see it in your personal life and we see it professionally. I think, you know, what we try to do in that sense on our team is, you know, oftentimes when you have clients that are a couple, if the husband or male in this case is is taking the lead, you know, it's it's important to try to at least try to engage Mm -hmm. the woman. And again, it comes back to, I think, how you're speaking to people and really listening and asking questions more than directing, Mm. you know. Carrie, has UBS done any research beyond the On Your Worth piece in the U.S. that explores whether these trends exist globally? We, We, you know, we live in the, you know, a global universe. Yes. So actually, on March 6th, UBS published uh, the latest quarterly global investor watch, which is a survey of investors all around the world. And this one was specifically focused on women and financial decision making, meant to be a global exploration of the own your worth data that we first did in the US last year. And interestingly enough, we found that many of the trends we saw in the US hold globally. So globally, we did find that women defer long-term financial decisions to their spouses on average about 58%. So more than half of women around the globe let their male spouse or partner take the lead in major financial decisions. And again, this is looking at traditional heterosexual married couples around the globe. And we looked at nine key markets all around the world. In Singapore and Hong Kong, so in some of our APAC countries, this was the highest. So this is where women tended to defer the most. Whereas in Brazil and Mexico, women tended to defer the least, but it was still around 42% in those two countries on average. And again, the reasons that women gave for why they opt out of these decisions were similar to what we found in the U.S. So 82% of women said that they thought their spouse knew more about this topic than they did. 79% said that it's because they take a divide-and-conquer approach, which which I touched upon earlier. And almost 80% said that their spouse, their male spouse, was the primary breadwinner in the family. So therefore, it felt natural for, for him to take the lead on finances. But it's worth noting that globally, we did find that where within traditional married couples, men and women share these longer term financial decisions and share this this task and this responsibility, there really are big benefits. So over 90% of the couples that we spoke to that share these decisions said that they're more confident in their financial future, that they tend to make fewer mistakes with both of them involved, and that they're less stressed about about Mm -hmm. their financial picture. So absolutely. um, Money always seems to be one of the the great difficulties in just about every marriage anywhere in the world. How, how does the U.S. rank when you when you look at this? Where were we in conjunction with the rest of the world? Yeah, so we're we're right about in the middle. So our UBS, the Investor Watch piece, found that fifty four percent of women in the U.S. defer these longer term financial decisions, and again, globally, the average was fifty eight percent. So we're we're right around average and kind of in the middle of those nine markets that I mentioned. So before we wrap up, Carrie, I'd like to see if we can talk about some specific actions that women can take today to get more involved in their financial lives as Mm -hmm. a form of, let's say, self-care, much in the same way you take care of your health. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly right. I think reframing how we think about our financial lives is a key piece of this. So 
thinking about your financial health and your financial well-being as part of your overall wellness is one way to make it so that your financial picture, looking at your finances, isn't a chore, it's not a burden, but rather it's a way for you to enable you to be able to do all the things that you want to do in your life and help you accomplish your goals. So, you know, the same way that women and men go for your annual checkup to the doctor, you, you know, may watch what you eat, you may exercise, you may, you know, see a nutritionist, a therapist, whatever it is that you do to take care of yourself taking care of your finances is another key way to take care of yourself. And so kind of reframing it to think about finances as part of overall self-care, I think is a great way to get started because that takes some of the big picture, like going back to, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be, you know, know all the intricacies of, of the financial markets to be involved. And I think thinking about it from how are you taking care of yourself? And this is another way to do that is one way for, for women to get started. Great, great. I want to thank you both for being here and taking the time to share your thoughts on this very important topic. Carrie Shuffman has joined us. She's the head of the women's segment at UBS and my business partner, Ann Trainer, senior vice president and my wonderful business partner again at our Westfield, New Jersey, UBS branch. I hope you're enjoying our first few episodes of Financially Speaking and would love if you would share these episodes with your connections and friends and the reports that we talked about today, the Own Your Worth report, for example, we will have a direct link wherever you found this, whether it was on LinkedIn or our website or anywhere else. And if not, please contact us and we'll make sure you get those reports. This is Mitch Slater saying, remember, pay yourself first.